do we do that? How do we see what's true fundamentally? Basically, it's not accepting, not rejecting, and not looking away. Something happens, don't accept it. Something happens, don't reject it. Something happens, don't distract yourself, look away, or avoid. Whether it's out here in this apparent open space, or whether it is in your consciousness. As far as knowing what is in front of you, when you accept something, it's not that you don't accept whatever gift or uh, whatever it may be. That So there's always going to be some of that that just happens just out of the relationship dynamics and so on. But the consciousness that is functioning to accept something by explaining it, justifying it, um, elaborating on it, and all of the various other words I could say, you might as well be doing this. You've actually stopped any further investigation because when you, if you accept something, you, you know what it is. You have an idea what that is. So, which is basically saying you've not looked deeply into what that is. And rejecting is also uh, covering up your awareness of whatever it was that you were rejecting and the reasons or protocol that was coming up around that. And obviously distracting, looking away, is also not going to be helpful to see what is true, if, if that's what you want to do, which you may not. If you're here, you probably have some interest in that. This is a lot heavier than it usually is. just like dark roast or something. Heavier than usual. And of course, I'm sure you see this is basically uh, passion, aggression, and ignorance. I want it, I don't want it, who cares? And the mind is always working in one, uh, one of those three areas in some way to get what it wants, keep away what it doesn't want, and then shut down on what it feels like, it feels helpless around, possibly, or doesn't concern it, or that stuff's not important. Sometimes people actually run on one of their modes of functioning, uh, what might be more around the, in the passion area than anything else, with the other ones chiming in, so to speak. Or they may be more, their style may be more ignoring other style may be more aggressive or pushy. And those three things being said, then there's all kinds of nuances that go countless numbers of ways those intertwine and combine and uh, operate to keep us from seeing what is fundamentally true. And what is fundamentally true? Put very simply, just in very simple terms, not separate, separated, as I say, over and over and over again. Everything is separated, obviously, that's why it's so damn seductive. You think this is here, and that's there, and this is over there, and I can put this back, and I have control, and I can, you know, I can, I know that you know, this is the color yellow. I'm making all kinds of progress. We, we tend to tally those things up kind of in the back of how we're doing, how we're getting along, adding, adding, adding. Those are the other three, uh, adding, subtracting, dividing.
Adding is passion. Subtracting is aggression. What's the other one? Not going to help. So the, the dividing is separating yourself from something, dividing yourself away. It's just a way of talking about it. It's, you know, probably some other system maybe that would, uh, a system of concepts that might help you more. That's why we study so much, study the Dharma so much, because there may be a way in which this shows up in the teachings that may be helpful to you, more fundamental than what I say. And then going to the obvious, how do we practice that? We sit down, hold still, we watch the way we can't do it. We watch the way we keep flooding ourselves with, I like it, I don't like it, it's good, it's bad, I shouldn't, I should, they should, they shouldn't. Constant stories. So why don't you help me go down to this material? Give me some good questions. I can talk more if you don't. I can talk all day. I guess I'm just kind of curious what brought sometimes something catalyzes these topics and if there's something that brought up the idea of seeing the truth. I'm actually thinking back about how that it came up through several different. It just, it just uh, came. I don't know. You sent me. A, what are you going to talk about? And I was thinking about it when you sent that, and I think I responded right away. And uh, were you impressed? I didn't see it until now. But you didn't look at the timing and thought, "Wow, he's really quick." You know, I think he's getting younger. <laughs> Not. My memory's getting better. Excuse me, mm-hmm. I guess when I think of seeing the truth, there's some feeling like a big revelation. But when I look at where I'm at, it seems like there's still so much murkiness. Oh. So what does it mean to see the truth when we're still mired in delusion? Thank you. Seeing the murkiness is the truth. So, but there's an imputed person who feels mired. So the truth with no, no one who's mired is the truth. You actually see that, but you can't get rid of something that you actually uh, haven't really looked at closely. If you think there's something there, if you think there's an ego, then, then we tend to try to get rid of it or figure out some way to derail it or push it away or do something with it. But since it's unreal, it's like you might as well be pushing dreams around you can't really do it more when there's a misunderstanding of identity yeah should we endeavor to bring more awareness to that than the apparent confusion give me an example when I'm meditating and I'm watching my thoughts come and go it may seem that that is the, the confusion but there's that identity that believes it's true, and I'm wondering if that awareness should uh, turn inward from the apparent external confusion. I wouldn't do anything with it. If you're sitting, then you the idea is to sit and just hold still, have all the senses open, and just receive. 
Maybe something will happen, maybe it won't. Maybe thoughts will come, maybe they won't. Uh, don't do any math at all, just sit and watch it. And uh, the, the feeling that we have as we, if we, if we do any kind of extended sitting is the ego um, interpretation of this is, this is not leading, I'm not getting anywhere, this is not working. Because the ego, the self-centeredness, or ideas, the seventh consciousness, has some kind of idea about what enlightenment would look like or what it would feel like. We think we're going to feel better. Question? We're not going to feel better? Well, I didn't say that. You said that. You said... That's, that's very, very nihilistic of you. <laughs> so the idea of how we, uh, I, I, you know, I've heard me say this before, but and it's like this. I don't know if it would be this way for you, but it's like you're not really concerned about your, your feelings because there isn't any solid being having the feeling. So the feeling may arise and you may feel like that, but it's like it's like a, there's always a breeze blowing. So nothing can find any, nothing can light anywhere. So you might have a negative feeling come and go, but it, it doesn't find a, a self. It doesn't find someone who's feeling like that, who needs to get rid of it, or needs to justify it, or needs to ignore it, or needs to do anything with it. Choo-choo. Patrick from Seattle has a question. Okay. How do you differentiate between truth, illusions, thoughts, and feelings? Uh, oh, that was pretty hard. <laughs> Um, well, they're not separate. How's that? Truth, truth can show up as illusion. Truth, uh, illusion can show uh, show up as truth. I mean, you, it can, things can go all different kinds of directions. The important thing is, and I understand your concepts and I understand your question, but there's no there's no way I can, without going to some kind of scholarly approach to it, to, which I'm not a scholar. There's no way I can really respond to that. I would say, contemplate that. Maybe write it down. Write those concepts down and then sit for a couple of hours and then after the two hours are up or three hours or four hours are up, then take out your index card and look at those words. Contemplate the words because the words are pointing to something that with you that you would understand what they are, but the words, if I use those words, they're not necessarily pointing to the same thing. Not doesn't not not talking about talking about right or wrong, we're just saying different. Shut up. The truth, does the truth ever show up as truth? Well, it, it shows up as not being separate. And so, you know, I, I don't know. You, you might start naming it if you need to teach it. You might talk about it that way cause, because it, you're not going to say, aha, that's the truth. Whew. Been a long, hard path. Finally, I stumbled on the truth. So it's not some kind of a thing that happens. It's, it's, it's the fundamental nature of everything. It's absolute. And if you can see it, if you can, uh, like the scratch on the mirror that was talked about in the book study today, uh, for those of you who were, who, uh, were here, that's the absolute is seen like a mirror. It's an image for, for the absolute. You're looking at yourself. But fundamentally, there isn't any mirror. And if you use that as an example of the absolute, then that's uh, that's a mirror with a scratch on it. You can't see it's a mirror until you, until you see the scratch. Go ahead. 
don't you? What makes the truth true? It's not false. <laughs> I like those easy questions. So the truth is a way of talking about. You have relative truth that we all know. This is uh, this is on the altar. Now it's not. It's on the. Is it on the altar? Yes, it's true. It's on the altar. So very simple. And and this is the uh, relative truth is the one we get drawn into, because we we think if we can just figure this relative truth out, we can somehow get ahead or not fall behind or succeed or feel better or accomplish, or build things or uh, become uh, winners. So those two, uh, is and isn't, up and down, back and forth, right and wrong, good and evil, life and death, all the relativity of truth, uh, just another way of saying it, um, rest on uh, ultimate truth, which, is, which doesn't come or go, doesn't do anything. More. Usually we talk about truth in relation to false, it's opposite. So when we're talking about absolute truth, why use the word truth if it has such a strong opposite? It's an interesting area because the, have the absolute truth and the opposite of that, to that is relative truth. And say, okay, but then if, if you understand the teaching of Advaita or non-duality or not to or uh, uh, dependent, dependent origination, there's so many different words for it. You understand that, then you see that uh, what what looks like up and down, back and forth, and everything. If those, if you start to see those together, then you see the other. You see the the absolute, which is the opposite of that. And then when you see that, then even those collapse into each other. So you you, you nothing advances. It's often said there's a, a true spiritual path that there's no progress. There's the illusion of progress. I mean, there's some relative progress. If you meditate, you're probably going to calm down, relative. You're probably going to be less likely to interrupt other people when they're talking, relative. You're probably going to be more receptive to what people are saying, maybe have more interest in. You might even start to begin begin to see that the reason people are being uh, asses is because they're suffering so much. So we begin to develop compassion. Uh, you could say relative kind of situation of, giving the other person the benefit of the doubt because it's obvious they're miserable. That's why they're acting so uh, difficult or so disruptive. There are people all over the place that are acting that way that look horrible, evil, bad, but it's because they're suffering, probably because they're really sitting on a big pile of fear. And that fear uh, uh, can be summed up in one word, non-existence. Nobody, nobody wants to got to die. We're all kind of somewhat miserable. <laughs> yeah. Well, even Rumi, you know, if you notice that, here he is a baby, has no problems. Everybody, somebody takes care of Rumi. Could be anybody here <laughs> taking care of Rumi these days. But he still gets irritated with stuff and wants other things, wants things different than they are. Second noble truth. He's in a good spot, though being born in a monastery. Yes. Thinking of uh, Kogan's translation of the Heart Sutra mantra, the falling apart, falling apart. Yes. Is that talking about a progression? Yeah, there is a progression, but the fundamental situation is not success. 
with success, then it's then it, sta- it stays in the realm of relative truth. It has to be the fancy word that's often used is transcendence. You're going beyond, beyond, uh, gone, gone, gone beyond, gone completely beyond. Awake, so be it, or sva. Just a way of just somebody in ancient times, in the first century or whenever it was, those who wrote the the Prajnaparamita literature with the Heart Sutra, the Diamond Sutra, and so on, um, had some insight. A thousand years after the Buddha had some insight about what this was and wrote about it uh, so they could help others, supposedly help others. And then, so when we read that, even in translation, we read it, I'll translate it out of the Sanskrit, it still still resonates with not everyone. Uh, some people could read that over and over and it would never make any sense to them. But, Shoto. It was talked about that nothing changes or there's no progress in, the, in how we might be that. What's being talked about with the teaching like the final disappointment? Like how Kogan has the last falling apart. No. Well, you, you don't get to succeed. The idea of attaining enlightenment looks pretty juicy at some point. It looks really good when you start. You think, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get on this path. I'm going to practice my ass off. And I'm going to, I'm going to just stay with this. I'm going to, I'm going to attain enlightenment. I'm going, to, I'm going to do what the Buddha did. I'm not saying you couldn't do that, but um, because the nature of it is working with is you're no longer ignoring anything and you're working with the negativity that shows up as your particular karma incarnation. But whatever shows up, is it, we begin to turn those into dharma gates, turn anything that happens to us into the path. Because if we don't, if we keep turning it, turning it aside, well, we need, we need to fix that because that's not part of the situation. So it's a, it's a disappointment in that you can't really... It's a disappointment, excuse me, in that you, you can't... You can't really have the kind of success. You have some success. Uh, other people might look at you and talk to you and think uh, you you're, you tend to listen more. Uh, you tend to be not quite so full of yourself as you were uh, a year ago. Something like that, maybe. Or maybe not. Or maybe they won't even notice. But they also might say, are you all right? You say, I'm fine. But there's a the, the disappointing part is is just that you, the more you see into this, you the more you see that who you are, are create who, who you thought you were is unreal, and so there's still that final pieces of, of self-centeredness that are still around until that final moment when even that has to go, and where does it go? It didn't go anywhere because it's unreal, so it doesn't have to go anywhere, but it feels like, feels like that for quite a while. Like I got to get rid of this. Sometimes people say to me, they all talk about this, say, well, that's just egotistical. Okay, I'm not wrong. It's just, it's just egotistical. So I'm pretty egotistical. I mean, who gave me the right to sit up here on a thing and wear important looking clothes? <laughs> Put myself up here, yes. Can we use disappointment as a credential? Yeah, we can. But you just can't talk about it. 
you can't you're not but in yourself you can you can see that you can feel and use it as a credential but it that falls away too when i say that i'm just saying you can use it as some kind of a marker because it is it's just like feeling eventually you you kind of some level you kind of give up but it's not a giving up you can talk about and it's not a giving up you could say you know i just gave up you guys should do it too it really works mm-hmm. i gave up me and the Buddha were like that. <laughs> yes. A uh, question from Shane out in California. He asks, uh, passion and aggression are opposites. Does ignorance have an opposite that could show up as a poison? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. Ignorance is conventionally part of the three poisons, but it's actually the main, the primary uh, poison, the primary uh, difficulty is, is ignoring. And then some of the activity that comes out of that is grabbing and punching comes out of that because we're ignoring what's happening so we think we either have to seduce it and control it or uh, make love to it or we have to throw it away push it away and chop it up into pieces kill it very interesting how those work you can actually even sense that in yourself when you meet someone you might notice, especially if you meet someone for the first time, you'll just you just have a sense about them. You really like them. You really, really are drawn to them. You really you, you like you don't you haven't even heard them talk maybe yet. You really like them. And then somebody else you meet and you just don't like them. And it might not necessarily be you're not it's not how they look so much. It's just something about that energy. Gary from Traverse City having a question. Mm-hmm. Is the truth seen or something we come to understand through the work of meditation? Yeah. So when I say seen, I'm just saying it's um, just a way of using that particular sense. You see it, you understand it. It, you could, it could, be, could show up in, in how, how things look to you or how things feel or how things sound. Sometimes sound is used as a, of all the senses, one of the senses that uh, one can understand to come to realizations through sound. Is seeing the truth disappointing? That's a way of talking about it. But fundamentally not. If we know that it's going to be disappointing, what keeps us going towards it? For reminders. <laughs> I think it's it, it's some kind of uh, first. There's some kind of understanding that goes deep that we something something in the teachings resonates with us on some level. Like the example I'm always using of the drum, we hit the drum and the window over here rattles. Some kind of something. I'm not sure what the connection is, but we we resonate with it, and we and we start to look at other things in our life, and we 
maybe not might not even come to a decision. We might just naturally say, I think I'm going to need to do this. I think I'm going to I'm going to practice meditation, or I think I'm going to study this, or I, I think it's so different with each person. So there's no one way that it's going to always happen. More. You said fundamentally it's not disappointing. So what is not disappointing about seeing the truth? It's really fun. It's disappointing in that you don't get, it doesn't show up all in a really, with a lot of nice fluffy feelings and, you know, sunshine and flowers. and There's not a lot of pleasure in it, particularly in the conventional sense. Um, but there is uh, the truth. It's the truth that nothing is separate. You actually can, you can't find anything else. How do you how do you say that if you see if everywhere you look you see you don't see anything else? That's why the the third turning teachings of the Buddha, which is what is what I endeavor to teach here, is uh, empty of other shentong, shentong or empty of that there is there isn't anything else. There's no other to it, and this can, this is taught different ways. So I'm just my way of teaching it may not hold up in court. Have you noticed the otherness of everything? So you're here, you're here. This is the, the primary misunderstanding, the imputation is I'm somebody and that's everything else. Some of everything else is agreeable, some of everything else is not so agreeable. agreeable. So. Thinking of the difference between the teachings of self-empty and empty of other, could you say how or what those teachings are pointing to with saying that you over there doesn't have a self and you over there doesn't have an other? That's that's there's too much elaboration there. Just keep it very simple. Otherwise, we get wound up in a bunch of concepts about plus and minus, and then you're going to need to talk to Jeffrey Hopkins or somebody else. But How is self-empty different than other empty? <laughs> so it looks like you have to see that there isn't anyone here first. And then, you, then you're still kind of attached to everybody, everything and everybody else. And then you at some point see that, that there isn't anything else but this. The imputation when the self is empty, then that that imputation or that uh, ideation around this is empty of self. We everything is empty of a self, empty of a self, empty of a self, empty of a self. Everything, everyone is empty of a self. But there's still some kind of otherness going on, even though it's called empty. So if you see what this is, then it's uh, it's empty of other. Just a way of talking. Have English words. We have to talk about it somehow. So it's just a way of talking about it. Say to If we see ourselves doing the math, if we see the the math arising, can that also be the truth? Paraphrase that. If we see ourselves 
adding, subtracting, um, even trying to look away. Okay. Or yeah, it can. Right, you don't have to be somebody else. You actually get to be your crazy self. But it's unreal. So after at the after the final disappointment, you cheer up. <laughs> uh, let's see. Wait a minute, Jessica. <laughs> uh, besides training the mind, how much of seeing the truth has to do with courage? Well, that's something you might, it might attribution might be the, the courage, but if you're actually courageous, you probably aren't going to call yourself courageous. Someone else might, if they knew what you were going through, they might say that person's courageous. Sometimes we look at someone else courageous, but uh, someone who's actually functioning as a courageous person in regard to their own mind or life or whatever, or in regard to their environment and to others, it's usually courage comes out of some kind of uh, selflessness, some kind of, excuse me, some kind of seeing that there there isn't anyone that's that's uh, there isn't anyone that's really in danger. So therefore, you can be courageous. Further questions. Bosker from Houston Bosker. asks, "How does a person who has seen the truth get back to dualism to talk about it?" Mm -hmm. Don't have to go back. Because you've never left it. You haven't ever gone anywhere. So you, you don't have to go anywhere. I mean, there's nowhere to go. That being said, to maybe come closer to what you're asking, I would say that might, if you if you understand this, because there, there's no, it doesn't come with a credential, doesn't come with a with a pacifier or a security blanket. So you, you might not be really sure what you were seeing because you wouldn't have any reference point for it. So it might have to sit there for a while, just like uh, um, Bhaskar, just like your countryman, Ramana Maharshi, at the age of what, every 18 or something, fell down and, and died, supposedly, and saw the truth of no self or his fundamental nature and went into retreat for 20 years before he started teaching. So probably saw it, but probably didn't know what to do about that. So he put himself in the in a cave. So you don't have to return into you know, to come back into it. It might it might look a little bit like that. Uh, I think the ox herding pictures. There's ten of those for the. Well, I can't remember how they go. They're even though they're pictorial, they're always hard for me to remember. Um, yeah, he finds a cow, right? <laughs> and then he jumps he on the, the cow. cow. Like, huh? He eats the cow. Eats the cow. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. So, and then, of course, there's no cow left. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that he realizes no self. <laughs> and he comes into the, back in the market looking for more cows. <laughs> <laughs> Not funny, actually. Don't you? Is there any language that doesn't scratch the mirror? <clears throat> yes, there is. Silence. 
stillness, silence. That's what that's what you're being introduced to when you sit around here looking at the wall all day long. It takes a while. From someone who's sat here looking at the wall for a few years, that's not a long time. Can silence scratch the mirror? If you brag about it. I'm really silent. I'm one of the most silent people I've met. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think trying, you know, me struggling in that area. There could be something there that would that would show up as uh, an imperfection, so to speak. When you say silence, um, yes. does that show up as just external, internal? It could, it could be anything. Excuse me. It's just a teaching, just a way of talking about it, and everyone will, everyone here will hear it a little bit differently. And, and and some people this may work as a kind of a touchstone to think about how their mind works as they go and, and look at how si- are they si- am I silent? Am I? What is silence? Like we, uh, Katagiri Roshi wrote a book, uh, a series of his talks called uh, "Returning to Silence," which a good friend of mine edited that book. Uh, it's a great title. Never read it. Might be a good book. We have that book. Got a lot of books I haven't read. Yes. Um, Greg from the UK asks: hmm. When I look inwards and don't find anything concrete, what is it that is the looking? What is it that's looking? What is it that's doing the looking? So, I have to use concepts. I would just say, without without knowing you, Greg, it's a little bit difficult. But I would say, the safe answer would be just consciousness is looking. Consciousness without it doesn't belong to anyone. Consciousness without itself, we don't realize that the consciousness we're appropriating as me actually doesn't belong to anybody. We just stole it. Thievery. There, there is no separate being. It's not something to believe in it, but you could consider it and see, see just exactly how, how tight your own identity is. This is why I refer to it as discontinuous identity, because we've all had the experience of feeling like this way one day and the next way, the next day not. I feel pretty good today, but yesterday didn't feel so good. I'm doing better, and then we, and then the attributions are: it's because of this. I'm on the wrong diet. Uh, I didn't get enough sleep. All kinds of things. So the, the discontinuity of the so-called solid me is there right in our face all the time. And people don't like that, and sometimes uh, people, especially those born in fixed signs, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> but people tend to lock down on, on it, looks called an opinion or an idea or, or a judgment or something, they tend to lock down and live a, kind of in a tight little cage, what do they call it, the, uh, the, the cage of your afflictions. You know, but to the person who's in there, they, they might not see it as afflictions. Patrick from Seattle has another question. Mm-hmm. Is the truth compassionate or an asshole or maybe both? <laughs> it's kind of multiple choice, I guess. 
I would say um, it's not both. He's not an asshole. Is that what he said? Asshole. What was the first one? Compassionate? Yeah, that's it. Truth is compassionate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, sir. Is it helpful to, if we are giving ourselves those attributions to why we're feeling a certain way. Um, is it helpful as a practice to just not vocalize those to people around us? I would leave that up to you. And that's, it depends on everyone's way of talking, expressing themselves, and who's in a relationship, who's not. I think it's really up to you to do that. The idea is just to be aware of what you're doing. Be aware that you're speaking. Be aware, you know, be aware that you're... And so you may, through that, you may decide to not say something. When I'm sitting here, there's lots of things coming and going that I don't say. I'd be taken off YouTube if I said those. <laughs> yes? I'm wondering if that dynamic would take some wind out of the sails to where we could see something more clearly. Like what? The way that that whole mechanism works, how we keep rebuilding who we are. What are you asking me? Is it helpful in a relative way to not feed the ego? It doesn't matter. It's always about awareness. It doesn't make any difference whether you feed the ego. It doesn't make any difference whether your ego is all fat and fluffy. It doesn't matter. What matters is awareness. If you see that, or you're aware of that, you might go on an ego diet. You might go on, you know, you might go on an ego fast, like solitary retreat. Would be one very strong way of doing it. Another way is face the wall. Another way is um, block sitting that people come in here and do um, voluntarily on their own. Yes? If it's just about seeing the ego, what's the benefit of starving it or giving it that fast? So you see it. Because it, it looks like it wants stuff. So don't give it to it. You can't have it. And then you, then you get it becomes more clear. Is it, is it actually there? Do you actually mind that? Do you actually mind sitting and facing a wall for hours at a time? What minds that? What else are you going to do? Play pool, pool or golf? And again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. It's just that it's just a way of working with it so that you can see more clearly what this is fundamentally. Anyone? Have five more minutes if you want to ask questions. Yeah. In the turmoil of our political situation, uh, especially today with the hearings, yeah. it seems like there's an intense search for the, the truth. How can we use our practice uh, when we're perhaps listening or viewing those situations to? Not jump to conclusions. Watch that you jump to conclusions. You don't have to, when I say don't jump to conclusions, I know you can't stop doing that. When I say don't conclude, I know you can't stop doing that. But if I say that, then you'll be more aware when you do it. You'll, and notice that you can't quite find the 
off switch there. But that's awareness. It's watching those switches and watching the the, uh, the metaphor knee-jerk reaction to things. Or, there I go again kind of thing. But of course, if you say, there I go again, then that's adding, and then you've, you've actually filled up the very space that you were, you were observing from. So I would say, uh, watch the politics, and watch the way you, some things bother you, and some things don't, and some things you're excited about, some things you're not, and don't particularly do anything with it. It's obvious the whole world is pretty crazy. Watch television for an hour. Can we see the truth? Well, according to me, you can. According to my Dharma talk title. Didn't I say seeing the truth? Yeah. So, yes. I don't know if it would be a visual thing or not, but um, with me, I'm very visual. So, I'm so with me, it's that would be a word, but you could also hearing the truth. It might be a hearing situation. It might be just sound itself. It could be sound. It could be. Uh, it could be any of the senses. I think it would be unlikely to taste the truth. But uh, the, the the word in uh, Tibetan is uh, uh, rochig, which means one taste. One taste means that everything is of one flavor. This is another way of saying not to. It's another way of saying uh, to garba. It's another way of saying dharmadatu. It's another way of saying uh, um, empty of other. There's anything else. So there's one. There's just one. It's, we don't say one. We just look at the multiplicity of everything that everybody assumes is actually happening, and we say one taste, rochig. So then that before you would use that sense. Interesting thing about sight is it's filled with all kinds of separations and so on, but taste is just one thing anyway. That's either, and there's not only a few names for taste, unless you're a chef, and then there's probably 50 or 60. So just look, uh, look directly and see, see the multiplicity, see the dependent origination. When you look at something, you can even say it to yourself. I'm not recommending this as a meditation and uh, uh, in action necessarily, but you could. You could look at something and say, how is that dependently risen? How is this? How are, how are my thoughts dependent, dependently risen? Do I think my thoughts? Is there some? Is there a thinker? Is there an actually someone thinking anything? Uh, as it says in the, in the Diamond Sutra, uh, and I can't even paraphrase it, but it's, uh, it's basically it's giving it to you, then taking it away and saying, giving it back to you. It's, it's trying to use a very relative, simple situation to say that the very seeing is not seeing. The very seeing, the very awakening is not awakening. Therefore, it's awakening. Powerful, powerful uh, mantra or teaching that comes out of the 2,000 years ago, that based on the teachings of the Buddha, which happened five, 500 years before then. Powerful. It's powerful to contemplate that. That reminds me if you got that, that printout. Not with me. But you have it, you know where it's at. Just a little personal aside. I keep forgetting to ask her about it. Yes, Joka. Using the example of the senses, 
Are, is someone able to hear the truth but not see the truth? I, I would think all the other senses come in with it, but just on a, you know, just like, you know, the Cub Scout leader and the rest of the scouts. <laughs> or campfire girls. Anybody participate in campfire girls? That must be way back there. Any any other questions? All right, thank you. We'll stand and dedicate the merit in the back of our red champ books. And I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes. We also accept donations through PayPal, debit, and credit cards. We also have Jukai this Sunday. Laura Ernst from St. Louis will be receiving precepts. And the all day this Saturday. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who is unhappy, sick, or suffering and fill them with life. 